Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we go to Ghana and hear about the hashtag Bring Back the Love campaign for the national team, as fans have been through frustrating times. Many of us do fall in and out of love with our national team. We hear what Ghana supporters make of this campaign. If you really want us to love the national team or you really want us to get behind the team, you have to fulfill those promises. There has to be more transparency. Plus three defeats from four for Liverpool. How will the Reds cope in their crucial Champions League game against Atletico Madrid next Wednesday? But first, some of this weekend's continental football will be affected by the coronavirus outbreak. The Morocco Football Federation has ordered all matches in the country to be played behind closed doors. This will include the two Confederation Cup quarter-final second legs being played in Morocco on Sunday. Tunisia won't be allowing any fans from outside the country to watch their games and Tanzania have banned handshakes before matches as we hope that the virus will be combated and contained worldwide. Well, to the CAF Champions League, we have the second legs of the quarter-finals this weekend and all of the first legs saw the home teams winning by a two-goal margin. So a lot of work to do for the home sides this time. Tunisian side Esperance had a 3-1 loss to Egypt's Zamalek in the first leg. They've been heavily sanctioned by the Confederation of African Football following abusive behaviour in that game. The coach Mouin Chabani, assistant coach Meji Trawi and midfielder Abdarouf Benguia serving four-match bans and another player Khalil Chamam has a six-match ban. Esperance have won the last two editions of the Champions League but this will be a huge test for them. DR Congo's TP Mazembe are 2-0 down as they host Raja Casablanca of Morocco. Tunisia's Etoile du Sahel also 2-0 down against another Moroccan club, Widad Casablanca. The 2016 champions, Mamelodi Sundowns from South Africa, also have a 2-0 deficit, this to the record eight-time winners Al-Atli of Egypt. Well, Sundowns are 13 home games unbeaten in the Champions League, but they have to dig deep this time. And this Tuesday we have the second leg of the final tie in qualifying for Africa for the Olympic Women's Football Tournament. Now Cameroon beat Zambia 3-2 in the first leg on Thursday. The winner of the tie qualifies directly to the Olympics this year. The loser goes into a playoff with Chile. Gabrielle Onguene scored her second goal of the game in a thriller in the 89th minute. But four years ago Zimbabwe knocked out Cameroon at the same stage. Cameroon having won 2-1 at home and then losing 1-0 here in Harare and Zimbabwe taking it on away goals, so there is hope for Zambia. Now off the pitch, the ongoing crisis at CAF took a new step on Monday as Secretary-General Mouad Haji resigned from his post. The Moroccan had been in power for less than a year. His resignation comes at a time when CAF is under close scrutiny from FIFA, who recently commissioned an audit that raised many questions. So at the moment, CAF seems to be lurching from one crisis to another. Now, do you find yourself falling in and out of love with your national team? When they win, they can bring you such pride, but when they go through a bad patch, it can be so tough. Singing your national anthem at the stadium can be so special, but then when some controversy hits your national team, you might say that you've had enough. 
Well, fans in Ghana have been exasperated with the Black Stars for some time, having last won the Africa Cup of Nations in 1982 and having a frustrating run of getting to the semi-finals or the final for six editions in a row up to 2017, but without winning it. Then they went out in the round of 16 in Egypt last year. We've heard from angry Ghana fans on the show before, but there's hopes of new love for the Black Stars in a campaign started by the new Ghana Football Association president, Kurt Okraku. With more, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Betty Yawson in Accra. The Black Stars' dramatic exit from the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt was like salt in the soul of many Ghanaian football lovers, or maybe a dagger pierced into the heart I believe this can't even describe the pain, despair, disappointment that Ghanaians had to go through after Black Stars lost on penalties to Tunisia, shattering the dreams of winning the AFCON for the first time in 30 years. The announced expose on the corruption in Ghana football preceding the tournament had already put the love for the game on life support. Hence the exit from the AFCON 2019 unplugged the machine leading to no love or can I say dead love for Ghana football. Fast forward to the election of new GFA boss Keto Kreku and you get the feeling from the corridors of power of the local football controlling body that every effort is going to be made to bring back the love. But can he revive the love of the game? Hashtag bring back the love may sound awkward in your ears, but to the Ghanaian football fan, this is the campaign message Kato Kreku has created to help resurrect the love for the game. The Ghana Football Association tested the campaign message with the Black Stars ahead of their 2021 AFCON qualifier against South Africa last year November, where hashtag bring back the love was spread all over social media, with the Black Stars players and officials posing with a placard with the inscription hashtag bring back the love. The Black Stars for the first time experienced massive love all round ahead of their game. The love has trickled down to the Ghana Premier League as much attendance has increased drastically, resulting in hassle for pocketing 67,876 US dollars, the highest gate proceeds in recent times in their game against arch rival Asante Kotoko. Ghanaian football fans via Twitter and social media engage in online banter about their favorite football teams using the hashtag bring back the love. The women's football are not left out at all in what we call the honeymoon period for the Ghana football. Despite the love surrounding Ghana football, has Ghanaians really bought into the bring back the love campaign? And are they ready to support the Black Stars regardless as they prepare for the 2021 AFCON qualifiers? All the answers are here on the streets of Accra. Because of the campaign now, um, teams are much more interactive on their social media. It has generally increased the attendance of um, people watching um, Ghanaian football. So yes, in some sense. No, in another sense, um, because of the fact that if you really want us to love the national team or you really want us to get behind the team, it has to fulfill those promises. There has to be more transparency. It is coming back right now and I'm feeling it right now. So if paying for it, I, I wouldn't mind. It wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, back then it was a problem, but now if they're sacking other people and then replacing some of the officials and it's going to work, then why not? 
It's about the performance. The performance will, will bring back the love, not the campaign. Where even if they are campaigning and they are not performing, they won't be loved. I think it's not going to work because they've disappointed us several times. Just do well this time around, yes, maybe. That will just bring that love back again. Those were mixed reactions of some Ghanaians on the streets of Accra. For now, we can only hope that the hashtag bring back the love campaign will breathe everlasting fresh air into the game in Ghana. My name is Betty Yorton reporting from Accra, Ghana. Well, it's interesting. Many of us can certainly relate to that. Uh, thanks a lot, Betty. Uh, so, Ida, that's a great campaign, isn't it? It's pretty refreshing, Steve, to see an African federation with some novel ideas. And I'm sure that the Ghanaians must have their issues with the GFA. No federation is ever perfect. But uh, take it from the perspective of a fellow African. It is always worse somewhere else. <laughs> um, but with that said, I mean, I would like to know how they actually plan to, to bring back the love. Because... Um, what are the actual strategies on the ground? Yes, it is a novel idea. It is refreshing. Uh, but in all frankness, will it just be, you know, another ideology that runs its course? Because, I mean, look, some months back, uh, FIFA was telling us about building, you know, stadiums in each African country. And I might be rushing this. But I am actually yet to see, hear or read of any feasible, viable plans on the ground. Uh, but yes, as you've said there, Steve, there's been lots of negativity surrounding Ghanaian football in the recent past. And um, I think exiting at the round of 16 in the Africa Cup of Nations was the final nail. I mean, since then, they've changed their national team coach. Uh, we're seeing that the Ghanaian Premier League is back and it's back in a big way. And uh, I do have to say that the media has definitely played its part on that. And we can see that despite the normalization committee still being in existence, Steve, that there are actual changes. And that's very positive and uh, refreshing to see. Uh, but I do think that all this aligns with an all-round revamping, Steve, that Ghana has been doing for a while now. I mean, they had a big campaign in 2019 for the holidays and uh, they were calling it the year of return. And that's a huge surge in tourism. And we can see they're now doing the same with other sports such as tennis. And uh, now, interestingly, the GFA has given the month of March a sports theme. And uh, they're calling it the month of pride and patriotism. So incidentally, the, the Black Stars, that being the national men's team, the Black Queens, and uh, Steve, even the under-17 national girls team, uh, the Black Maidens, will all be in action. And all this is coinciding with the month that Ghana got its independence. So I would say that there's definitely some level of thought in this, and uh, it will be interesting to see how it's implemented as the year goes on. Well, so we'll see if all of this is going to be successful in Ghana. And I guess, Ida, that most of us have been through this love-hate relationship with their national team. Uh, right now here in Zimbabwe, we might have to play this month's home Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Algeria in another country. As CAF has ruled that none of Zimbabwe's stadiums are up to standard. Uh, work is being done desperately now. We're hoping that CAF might reverse the decision, but uh, probably not. And most of us have had those wonderful highs when the team qualifies for a major tournament and the lows when they don't make it. 
Remember earlier, Steve, when I said that it's always worse somewhere else, you know, and um, it's not to say that I don't feel for the situation in Zimbabwe. I do. And at the same time, if I'm being honest, I foresee the same happening in Kenya and in the not too distant future, actually, especially if we're not careful, because you you focus on um, the situation in Zimbabwe, for example. I mean, this was not unannounced. Zim saw this coming and it's a huge shame. It's a big pity, Steve, that it's only now that the relevant authorities are working towards a solution meaning that they are pretty much doing what every African football stakeholder does, which is react as opposed to proact. And it's not to say that the situation isn't similar in Kenya, because at this juncture, a lot of Kenyan football fans, Steve, don't even want what we what we call the five phantom stadia, <laughs> as it is, that the government promised initially you know almost a decade ago right now people don't even want that anymore the only thing that a lot of kenyan football fans want is for the two operational international stadia to just be at optimum and already that is taking so long it's taking so much and it just goes to show that in Kenya, if it's not one thing, it's another, Steve, because the the federation elections, for example, are presently in limbo. Now, to make it worse, the current administration's regime is done, meaning all cards are in the air. That issue is currently in court. There are talks about uh, a possible formation of a parallel federation, which gets you thinking and wondering, is it really about protecting the interests of the player on the pitch or is it really about political egos? That's a debate for another day, you know. But, I mean, the league is suffering, you know, honestly one of its worst cash crunches in a while. There are no fans in the stadium, Steve. So a lot of people would argue, but it's not all doom and gloom. You know, Kenya did make it to its first Africa Cup of Nations in 2019, what was then, um, you know, for the first time in almost a decade and a half. So definitely that was an achievement. But the administrative fallout after that, Steve, for a lot of sports journalists has honestly overshadowed that achievement. So it's arguable, it's debatable, but who knows? <laughs> maybe maybe football in Kenya right now needs a bit of its own, uh, you know, bring back the love. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like it. Thanks a lot, Ida. Wherever you're listening from, maybe you can relate to this. And on social media this week, we're asking, do you have a love-hate relationship with your national team? We heard about the situation in Ghana with the hashtag Bring Back the Love campaign for the national team. So do you find yourself falling in and out with your national team? You can tell us some of the moments where you've been on a high with your national team and the moments where your love has been at a low. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen too on our new look website, that's planetsport.tv. 
Now let's go to social media. And on last week's show, we had an exclusive interview with Nigeria striker Odion Igalo, who's fulfilled his dream of playing for Manchester United after joining them on loan from China, even taking a pay cut to do so. After three appearances as a sub, Igalo scored on his first start in the Europa League a week ago against Belgian side Club Rouge. Manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has said that if Igalo impresses, he could get a longer deal with the club when this loan spell ends at the end of this season. So last what we asked, do you think that Igalo will do well at United or is there too much competition for places up front? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Thanks then, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we start today with Mohamed Barr in The Gambia, who says, Well, Odion Igalo isn't new to the EPL, so I believe that if he is given the playing time at United, he can impress and score more goals for them. He's a guy who has Manchester United at heart, so that tells us how important he would be if given the chance to play regularly. With him and Rashford up front, they will be a big threat for any team in the Premier League. And I believe they will partner well for United. He's such an energetic guy and has good vision, says Mohamed. And Moses Bebe Zouza in Zambia agrees. Just see his determination and passion that he's using at Manchester United, says Moses. For me, Igalo is going to make it at Old Trafford. Partimanji Baji in The Gambia is also optimistic about the former Watford striker's chances at Old Trafford. Yes, there is a lot of competition up front, says Parr, but that can't bar him from making a name for himself so that he can be awarded a permanent transfer. I am so optimistic that he can do better if he is given more playing time to prove himself. He has the ability, the attitude, strength and energy to improve on his work rate and scoring more goals and that will definitely help him to grab the best of his childhood dream of playing for United. But Amadou Baji, also in the Gambia, isn't so sure. Well, I think it will be pretty hard to say whether he'll do well at United, says Amadou. Based on United's performance, which shows a lack of consistency, well that could be a great setback to him. It also depends on whether the manager is ready to give him enough playing time. But Frida Vahenda Akachi in Kenya is more positive. Of course, yes, any player who gets a deal with a team will do his best to shine for the manager, says Frida. Kahinde in Nigeria is full of praise for his fellow countrymen securing a move to Manchester United. He is going to shine very well for sure, because he is such a good striker, says Kahinde. And Barang Sana in the Gambia agrees with Kahinde. I think he has the Premier League experience to convince him, says Barang. Igalo is a natural centre-forward, and with the likes of Bruno Fernandes behind him, he will bring competition to Martial and Rashford. He will be a super substitution and a possible game-winner. Many people this week have been saying that Igalo can only have the opportunity to shine if he's given enough playing time. Dominic Ompile in Botswana makes that point, saying there's too much competition for Igalo to be a regular starter, but he will fight to prove his quality. But Jemo, a Cameroonian in the United States, takes another view. I'm glad his dream came true, says Jemo, but I don't think Igalo will shine at Manchester United with only a short-term contract. 
unless he's given a longer stay at the club where he can fully display his ability, which is scoring goals. And taking that point, Mamadou Ba in the Gambia believes the 30-year-old striker does have a longer future at United. I believe that Igalo will stay permanently at Manchester United, says Mamadou. He offers a different style of play and I think the manager is happy with it. And finally, Biswak and Jaqua in Malawi feels Igalo will face stiff competition for a starting place at United. Being a Manchester United fan myself, says Biswek, I've been unhappy after the injury of Marcus Rashford, who was the only real forward at United. In his place, Martial, a natural winger, started to play as a number nine, but that's failed to work. Igalo can shine at United, especially now he's come at a time when Bruno Fernandes, McTominay and Fred are in good form and they can supply him with good opportunities. Another opportunity for Odion is that while Rashford is injured, he can impress before Rashford returns. So it's up to him now to work hard so that the whole world can see the potential in him. So there you are, Steve. Plenty of comments there on both sides of the discussion. And perhaps they're all best summed up by this short comment from Mohammed in Sierra Leone, who says, I think it's a wait and see situation. And I, for one, Steve, wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, sure. And uh, good to see Igalo getting his second start for Man United in Thursday night's FA Cup fifth round tie away to Derby County and scoring twice as United won 3-0. So Igalo's showing what he's capable of. I guess the big step now is to get starts in Premier League games. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, now. Uh, lots to talk about, Stuart, and uh, first it has to be the end of Liverpool's unbeaten run, with Watford stunning them 3-0, and then a loss to Chelsea in an FA Cup fifth-round tie. Of course, Liverpool will win the Premier League, but uh, the big question for me is how will this affect their Champions League campaign as they are 1-0 down from the first leg against Atletico Madrid in their round of 16 tie with the second leg this coming Wednesday? Steve, it was inevitable that Liverpool were going to lose at some point, but we hardly expected it to happen against Watford, who started the day in the bottom three. But Watford were good value for the win. And of course, their hero was Ismail Assar, from Senegal. He's 22 in his first season with Watford, having played three years in France, where incidentally he scored 18 goals for Rennes and Metz, but also picked up 10 yellow cards. So that's nearly as many yellow cards as goals. But, you know, that defeat last Tuesday uh, to Chelsea in the FA Cup means three defeats in four games for Liverpool. And in three of the defeats, they failed to score. So it's a good question, really, where it leaves them. Of course, the league championship is secure with that 22-point lead. But you could say also that losing away to Atletico Madrid in the Champions League 1-0 and losing away to Chelsea in the FA Cup were not disasters. But when you put those three defeats together and add in their other two recent league games, they had to come from behind to beat lowly West Ham and needed a late goal at Norwich, it does add up to a pretty shaky period for Liverpool. And as you say, with Liverpool knocked out of the League Cup uh, when they had to field the youth team because it clashed with the World Club Championship, now out of the FA Cup and facing a difficult Champions League game against Atletico, I mean, unless they can turn that around, suddenly their season is left with only the League Championship to play for. 
So, Stuart, this means that the Atletico game is, as it stands right now, the biggest of their season, uh, being 22 points clear at the top of the Premier League, but to going out of the Champions League would not do for them. And uh, Manchester City winning the first trophy of the season, the EFL Cup, but uh, Aston Villa battled really hard, Stuart. Well, you know, the league table reveals that Manchester City are second and Aston Villa second from bottom, but you had never have guessed it from Sunday's game. And... Frankly, it took a brilliant save by Bravo, the Manchester City goalkeeper, in the last minutes to stop Angle's header from levelling at 2-2. And it was nice to see Moana Samata, whom we've mentioned previously as the first Tanzanian to play in the Premier League, scoring Villa's goal. In fact, he was one of four, possibly five, Africans in that Villa team. We had marvellous Nakamba from Zimbabwe and two Egyptians, El Mohamedi and Trezeguet. And in addition... Anwar El Ghazi, born in Netherlands, but of Moroccan parents. So a very African feel to that Villa side. But at the end of the day, Villa played well, but lost, and they now find themselves in a real relegation dogfight. Remarkably, this was Manchester City's third League Cup win in a row, and their fifth in the last seven years. You know, we often talk about how many clubs don't rate the competition, but Manchester City always prioritise it, and City fielded a very strong team uh, in Sunday's final. Yes, and uh, that relegation fight has really heated up now. I talked last week, Steve, about how tight the bottom of the table is. And before last weekend's fixtures, the three clubs in the relegation places were Norwich, Watford and West Ham. And incredibly, they all won last weekend. And that leaves Norwich bottom on 21 points. Aston Villa now second bottom on 25, with Bournemouth, Watford and West Ham on 27 and Brighton on 28. And you really feel that any of those clubs could go down. Manchester United drew 1-1 at Everton, but there was a bizarre incident in the last minute when Everton's Calvert-Lewin shot, the ball deflected off Harry Maguire and went into the net. But Calvert-Lewin's teammate Seagerson was lying on the ground in the goal area, allegedly blocking David De Gea's view and the goal was disallowed. Seagerson was definitely in an offside position, but he didn't touch the ball. And it was one of those incidents where there's no clear right or wrong answer. Some people would say he was offside, others that he wasn't. Incidentally, Odin Agallo was on the bench for that game, coming on for the last 18 minutes. And he had one good chance which was saved, and probably he should have scored it. The game was also notable for another howler by David De Gea, who hesitated over a clearance, which Calvert-Lewin charged down into the net. And incredibly, this was the seventh goal that United have conceded this season from a De Gea error. And going back to Calvert-Lewin, who scored in the first minute last week against Arsenal and the third minute this week, making him the first player for 24 years to score in the first three minutes on consecutive weekends. Ehenaccio, the Nigerian, thought he'd scored for Leicester at Norwich, but VAR disallowed his goal because the ball had touched his arm. We've heard of that before. Leicester, incidentally, have played four Friday night games this season and scored nine goals in them. They beat Southampton 9-0 in one of them, but have not scored in their other three Friday night games. Isn't that strange? Last weekend, Jordan Ayew from Ghana scored for Palace in their important win over Brighton, and Serge Aurier scored for Tottenham. That was his first goal for two seasons. However, midweek... 
Tottenham lost in the FA Cup to Norwich on penalties when inevitably the penalty-saving king, Tim Krull, made the vital save to win it for Norwich. But after the game, there was an extraordinary incident when Tottenham's Eric Dyer went into the crowd and seemed to be fighting a spectator who had allegedly insulted his brother. Steve, I think that Sergio Aguero must wear a watch when he plays in League Cup finals because in 2018, he scored in the 18th minute and in 2020, in the 20th minute. Incidentally, with Aguero from Argentina, Samata from Tanzania and Rodri from Spain scoring the goals in the League Cup final, that was three players from three different continents. Reading lost to Sheffield United in the FA Cup this week with Puskas scoring their goal. And Puskas is not the only famous name in their team as Judilson Pelle from Guinea-Bissau was also there. And finally, Steve, we always love this kind of story, don't we? In a cup tie in Germany, Saarbrücken goalkeeper Daniel Batz saved four penalties in a penalty shootout to help his team beat Dusseldorf. And just to show it was no fluke, he had saved a penalty during the game as well. Uh, Well, what a game he had that uh, in Germany. In the English Premier League this weekend, the Manchester derby is the big game. Man United hosting Man City on Sunday. Liverpool playing away to Bournemouth on Saturday. Arsenal at home to West Ham on Saturday. And Chelsea play Everton on Sunday. That could be an interesting one too. And UEFA Champions League matches to look forward to on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.